Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Needham. The goal of this podcast is to leave you with actionable insights and to help you become uh, smarter sellers. I have with me today, Jason Boyce from Avenue 7 Media. He is the first author that I've brought onto the podcast. He has a book about uh, building brands on Amazon. And um, I happened to have a copy of it. And last time I was on a plane, I pulled it out and started reading it. And as I was reading, I was like, oh my goodness, like this guy, uh, Jason is, he's not only just living my story, but like has actually done more than me in terms of advocating for Amazon sellers, especially when it comes against, uh, you know, the the big behemoth that Amazon is. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Well, well, thank you, Scott. And please don't sell yourself short. You do a ton for Amazon sellers and it's, and I'm sure that they appreciate it. Yes. Um, so um, why did you write a book? You know, it's a good, it's a good question. I, I had no plans to write a book. Um, you know, maybe like in the sixth grade on my bucket list, you know, the sixth grade teacher would have you do a bucket list. I said, I'd write a book, but I'd forgotten about it. But I, I was talking to my co-author, Rick Cesari, who's a marketing legend, did yes. um, the TV campaigns for the George Foreman grill, GoPro cameras, OxyClean, all those. And, and he and I connected after a prosper show. I think it was a second or third prosper show. We, we, we found out that we lived about 15 minutes apart, started up some coffee Friday morning coffee conversations. And, um, you know, he was teaching me everything he knew about marketing. And I was teaching him everything I knew about this Amazon game, this jungle. And Rick is the one that made the suggestion. He says, you should write a book about this. And I said, Rick, I, dude, it took me eight years to get a four-year degree from college. I cannot write a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And well, you mentioned jungle. The, the name of the book is the Amazon jungle. Um, and, but like, tell me a little bit more about like, you know, your, your beginnings that like, you know, why you, uh, you know, the backstory, like you, uh, obviously sure. you had to have a lot of experience on Amazon before you could even like write about that. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, at the time I started writing the book, I think we, I'd been a seller for 16, 17 years. I started selling all the way back in 2003. I, I start my first company. I had just left the Marines and my brother, uh, had decided to do a basketball hoop company. And uh, we had somehow lucked into meeting the guys at Overture.com in Pasadena. Uh-huh. And I, I, I grew up in LA. And, um, and these guys at Overture had discovered this new technology called pay-per-click advertising. And they had basically invented it. And they, 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 when, we, when we were having conversations with them, they told us how we could pay for clicks, like three cents a click, and show up on the first page of search results on all the different search engines at the time. And, you know, there was like Alta Vista, insert name yeah. Vista, whatever, you know, it was like a million of them back then. Google was just a startup really back then. And um, we were like, gosh, let's, let's sell some products online. And so we started to direct to consumer website. We were all over the search engines at the time. And that's how we started uh, just direct to consumer. And then a year later in 2003, Amazon called and said, we want you to sell basketball hoops on Amazon. And I was like, dude, I just bought a VHS tape from you guys. What are you guys doing selling sporting goods? And that's how long ago it was. And um, it was a no brainer for us. We're like, yeah, absolutely. You guys have way more money and you guys have the e-commerce platform and let's do this. And I mean, it was so long ago, Scott, that we, we were helping them build out their taxonomy 
for the sporting goods section, like, no, you can't call a basketball hoop this. You have to call it that. Or, you know, you guys have this all wrong. And we were talking to a bunch of engineers. So they didn't know yeah. anything about sporting goods. And, um, and, and, and so, and that's how we started. You know, we were just a drop shipper. We didn't own any inventory. We sparked up relationships with Spalding and others. We became Spalding's sort of number one dealer online. And, yep. um, you know, life was good. That's how long ago we started. I mean, um, sheesh, like I have to imagine back then that like, like you said, like the Amazon even had their category structure built out in it. Like the, um, what's, what is FBA now what didn't exist. And there probably was like a lot, probably really hard to ship stuff. Uh, just yeah. a lot of clarity on things and. Well, let me tell you, Scott, we were shipping 500 pound basketball hoops to the home. And so we were shipping, you know, nets that were less than a pound all the way up to these enormous steel pole, six inch steel pole basketball hoops with glass backboards all over the country and everything in between. So it was a logistical nightmare for us. We were just out of our own warehouse. We had a warehouse in, in LA area and we were shipping to the whole country out of there. And of course we were doing drop shipping as well. So we were doing a combination of both. And it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare to get an LTL shipment to the home. It still is these days, but back then, oh my gosh, it was um, here, brutal. Here's a funny story. I once created a removal for a very big product and it was a uh, uh, kind of like a tub for like agriculture. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was like, why do we have this? Cause you know, for my reselling business, now, why do I have this? And I'm like, I'm just going to send it to my friend's house. And it only cost us 50 cents to do a removal or like 60 cents, like removers are super cheap in FBA. And a truck ended up uh, going to my friend's house to drop off that product. And I was just like, I was like, oh my goodness, like, why did I do this? Why did I like uh, take advantage of this, like this logistics machine that is FBA uh, just for a joke? I mean, I still think it's funny. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that LTL game is tricky. It's a very high bar. We did a lot of innovating in the space. So like when you bought from us, we, um, the, the, the LTL industry was so backwards. Like you, you'd have to pay for the shipment and then you'd have to pay like $75 if you wanted to lift gate. Well, Hey, you show up with a, with a pool table and Sally who's pregnant and like, you know, 130 pounds, what's she going to do? She's going to lift this thing off the truck. So we, we, we developed, uh, in working with our delivery partners to the door and across the threshold delivery that was all inclusive and paid for. And, you know, we did, we, we got rid of the, the requirement to have an appointment. We were like, look, if people aren't there, we'll just drop it on the doorstep. It's going to be fine. They're like, but what if somebody steals it? I'm like, no one's stealing a 500 pound pool table. <laughs> and if they are good luck, enjoy it. Right. <laughs> if they're going to go through the trouble to get that thing in the back of their truck, that's fine. And so, and, so yeah, and it was, a, it was an interesting space at the time. And right. Amazon ended up adopting some of the policies that we created to serve their customers. Interesting. And I mean, it, it comes to be a numbers game, just like, very few people still something like that heavy. Um, and like, we're willing to eat that risk or someone yeah. is, you know, I mean, you put it in the policy or whatever. That's uh, uh, very interesting. Um, now then, you know, you, your journey has gone actually way more. You started out in drop shipping and you yeah. know, have a lot of the scars there. Um, but, you know, you started to build out your own brand and, um, I recently heard you speak at Seller Velocity in Boston, and 
you know, a lot of like really great perspectives on like what it takes to, to build out a brand. So, you know, why did you do that? Why did you take that step? Yeah. You know, I, I gave this talk at the um, internet retailer conference back before it was retail X years ago. And I talk about this journey of going from a drop shipper to a private label seller. And I paralleled that with the Beatles, right? Not that I became the Beatles, but you know, when they first started, they were, they were, they were um, covering little Richard songs in Hamburg, these little Hamburg bars, right? Learning the process, learning their yep. timing, learning the mechanics of creating music and standing in front of an audience and, 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 and performing. And then, you know, five years later, they were doing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Like they went from covering to creating their own music. So they just continually evolved. And so I sort of liken that process of going from a drop shipper to a private label seller like the Beatles, right? They're, they're yep. sort of their journey. And, um, you know, I, I refer to the drop shipping days, by the way, as the good old days, at least until Amazon started measuring performance metrics, like order defect rates and, <laughs> and, and late delivery. That was like, I think the first time we got suspended, they started measuring those things <laughs> and never telling us, right. They never told us that they were measuring them and they just suspended us. Yeah. But, um, but you know, the, what stopped us from drop shipping was really one day we woke up, we, we went from a hundred thousand to a million to 2 million in sales. We were doubling every year over year in the dropship business. It was, life was good. Didn't have to carry any inventory. And then we woke up one morning and Amazon had started buying our products and inventory them and selling them for 30% less than we could buy them for on a dropship basis. And so that business was basically dead for us almost immediately. Um, and then, so we went back, I told you that we were a big seller with Spalding. So we went back to Spalding and said, look, we've been your number one e-commerce seller for like five years. They invited us to the NBA All-Star game, put us up in the Ritz for three or four years in a row. You know, that's how big a business we were driving for them. And we're like, you guys can't just do this to us. You can't just cut us off. So, you know, based on what our customers are saying, we want to create some exclusives with you. We want our own unique UPC code, our own SKU. We want you to change happy to glad on these because we think the consumers will like it. So we started what we called the exclusive products business. And so then we didn't have to share the buy box with Amazon who was gutting us. And when we made that transition, our business actually doubled again. I mean, it grew dramatically. And then, so that was phase two. And then phase three, where we finally jumped in and said, screw this, we're going to create our own label was our, our Spalding rep called us basically in tears and said, Amazon just called my boss. They said, if we don't sell them the same products we're selling to you, they're going to stop buying everything. I'm so sorry. We, we, we're going to have to give your exclusives to Amazon. And, uh, you know, we debated suing them and we were like, that's like nuclear war, catastrophic casualties on both sides. Even if we right. win, let's move on. Screw this. We're going to create our own brand. I knew nothing about creating my own brand. And again, it's kind of like writing a book. I had no ambition to write a book. Someone makes a suggestion. And then I just slogged through it and did it and enjoyed the process. But the, but the, but the private label business was incredibly meaningful to me. I, I absolutely loved that part of the business way more than drop shipping way more than the exclusives business. It tapped into sort of the creative side of my brain. It got me involved in creating these products and making mm -hmm. products better. And I love that. What was your and first so, product? Um, it was a, it was a, you know, well, we look, we started kind of, kind of the way that we stumbled on this idea of creating our own private label. We would go to our manufacturers and we bought closeouts and, and it was the only product available. We, we just bought all the units that were available. And we saw that these products were performing insanely well, way better than anything we experienced when we were sharing the buy box. And we're like, oh, okay, being the only seller in a buy box is really powerful. <laughs> yeah. And then um, 
then, you know, I, I, I literally got on a plane. I flew to the Canton Fair. I couldn't speak a lick of Mandarin or anything. Uh, I, 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 I don't know how the hell I even made it to my hotel after that first trip it, to China. It is not easy. <laughs> I've been to China and like, it is not easy to get around. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, I made a, I sparked up some relationships that ended up being 15 year relationships with factories over there. And I said, look, I want you to make something that looks like this, but I want you to make it better. And I think our first product was a foosball table and it became a top seller. And then we expanded to air hockey, basketball hoops, and you know, you name it. I mean, like, and, I'm actually, I mean, you started with the hard stuff, you know, the stuff yeah. like heavy. Well, we didn't know any better. We were too dumb to know the difference. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That has like consequences. If things, you know, go wrong, if someone wants to create a return, you're like, Oh crap. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, because, you know, uh, I mean, the, the easy, the easy space is like, you know, 10 to $30 product. That's like, you know, under three pounds. And it's like, you know, that, 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 that gets done all day long. So you're actually already, you know, in your own really uh, niche by going at something like that. And in a lot of ways you probably got, a, you got out of the way of a lot of competition, you know? So yeah, we did. Uh, look, we had some really fierce competitors, but not anywhere near the number of competitors that you see in a category that's one or two pounds where everyone and their brother can find it on Alibaba. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. There's, it's just much uh, rarer air there, much less competition and it's a challenge. Well, what like you said, you... returns alone is a nightmare for that big, heavy stuff. You can't resell that stuff when it's returned. It gets battered to hell. No. Oh, I, I don't you even get... want to <laughs> peel that yeah. open because of... I just started to shake. I had like PTSD memory just pop up right now, thinking about all those returns on those freight uh, items. <laughs> so buy boxer are reselling, like our returns are so bad. Like we can't even get liquidators to take it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's brutal. I mean, look, hopefully your return rates are a low number. Yeah. Like I got some clients that are 30% return rate, but 90% oh no. can be resold as new. We're, we're less than one or 2%, but like, you know, over the course yeah. of a year that turns into uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of inventory. And like, you know, you yeah. want to, you want to make a decision with that stuff. And right now yeah. actually our, uh, what we have is an employee left to kind of just create his own, uh, you know, reverse logistics or liquidations that he sells that stuff on eBay and just pushes it around and we just give him inventory and kind of. That's great. That's great. Yeah. We, 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 we sparked a relationship with Tradeport. They're a company that yeah, does yeah, this. Yeah. No, Tradeport, we sent them a pallet and they're like, ah, this is like, this is. Oh, it was so bad. Okay. You couldn't even resell. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but those kinds of relationships, I remember my life got significantly better when we signed with Tradeport because I didn't have to process returns anymore. Or my team didn't. And, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, um, I, I definitely recommend those, those types of services. Um, the problem for us is we were, uh, we're too wide. We have our catalog is just yeah. too random. Yeah, and so tough. we're only sending them one to three units of like random stuff. Yeah. Whereas like the, what they love is like, you know, something consistent. They're like, okay, we know this product. We know how we can move it. And um, we know how to like fix it. Yeah. Um, and um yeah. And some of the stuff that we're sending them is like the, the value is like less than five, ten dollars. Um, so uh yeah. but, um what were some things that made your brands stand apart as you know, like what were some like what do you think was like the best first moves that you made with your with your products? 
Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's a really great question. And I think that is even more important today than it was when I first started my private label business is you can't be this, you can't sell the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can't sell the same thing. You know why? Because the Amazon will beat you on price and so will the China factories. And so you have to add value and, and you have to build in and justify higher prices. And the yeah. way to do that is by being different, by being cooler. You know, one of the chapters is get it made, make it cool. And, and so, you know, there's this great, and I, I think I shared this with the seller velocity. There's this great Steve Jobs quote who stole it from an artist. Forgive me. I, I, I don't know what artist it was, but, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Now, they're not stealing from their direct competitors, but they're going out into pop culture. And, I, you know, I gave the example at seller velocity. And it's in the book of how I was shopping at a board shorts, at a board, at a surf shop and saw this really cool pair of board shorts. And the color schemes were really cool. It was like bright orange and bright blue. At least it was cool at the time. I don't know if it'd be in fashion these days, probably not, but I thought it was super cool. Not, not to wear as board shorts, but I looked at that and I thought I'm putting that on my air hockey table. Cause that, those are really cool colors. Yeah. And you know, it, you know, if I had said that out loud next standing next to somebody, when I first saw it, they would have been like, what are you talking about, Jason? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But I, I took it back to my designer and I said, look, we got this air hockey table. We know it's good because we made it better by listening to the Amazon reviews and improving the airflow and making it quality and making sure it doesn't arrive damaged. Um, but it's just not standing out on the search results page. And you know this better than anybody, Scott. It's page one or bust. Yeah. And so, and you, you're on that page with hundreds, well, really 75 other competitors. Um, and, and, and you can go deep into hundreds and thousands of products, but you've got to stand out on that search results page. That's your shelf. Yep. And, and so this was a really great lesson. When I skinned, re, when we redesigned the skin of that air hockey table with those cool birch board short colors that we had pulled from pop culture, right? Yeah. It was very hot in pop culture. That's the borrowing. That's the steel part. Yep. And we layered on an air hockey table thing became like shot up, became like a number one bestseller and stayed there for years, like six, seven years. And, and, you know, if you had gone to the search results page and shot and, and searched air hockey table, or four, it was a four foot, it was a four foot or five foot, four foot air hockey table. And you looked at all the competitors and then you saw that bright orange pop jump off of the, the search results page. You absolutely had to, you absolutely had to click on it because it just looks so much cooler than the rest. And so, you know, that was an inexpensive way, really inexpensive way for us to be different. And um, um, yeah. And like, would you, do, I'm just wondering, did you have a variation page with maybe like normal, like less? No, uh, no or just at, at the, we, we built those up over time, but we just went all in with this design. Yeah. Um, we didn't know how it was going to do. I, I, I suspected it was going to do well. And um, we're trying to do the same in a very different way. Uh, so pickleball paddles. Oh yeah. Pickleball. I used to sell in that category. It's a great category. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so actually I bought my cousin's private label business. Um, and he had uh, some pickleball paddles and was one of the earlier ones. Now it's super competitive. Like it is a commodity, you know, there is like, there's not a lot of margin and some really, um, good competitors, honestly. And, um, we still wanted to be in it because it was the first product of his business. So we're like, we, we want to do it right. Um, and so we're, you know, we created a bling line of like leopard yes. print, leopard print and <laughs> like, uh, you know, gold and one that actually has a chain on it. Um, you know, 
at the very least, anytime I show this to my friends, they think it's cool. We actually have a Miami Vice colors, you know, from like yeah, uh, um, neon bright, yeah, 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 yeah. and then that fade across. So um, hoping to revitalize that by just like having something just like fun. Uh, so good. Yeah, and what that does that's that's awesome, Scott. I mean, you've nailed it. That's exactly step one. And right. then what you do is you start to get people buying this and loving the product because the product is great. You've iterated on it, right? And now it looks cool. Then you end up building a brand around that to add more protective layers to your moat. Yes. And, you know, talking about the story, talking about making it real and giving the consumer a reason to pay more for your product yep. than the China knockoffs, right? Um, and I mean, yeah, like that is uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, margins are why we're in the business. And business gets a lot easier when you can um, command uh, some extra margins. And I, you know, a good entrepreneur uh, has to, you know, figure that stuff out. Yeah. Um, so let's hit on something that you mentioned that, like, you know, you, you've come across Amazon seller performance. Um, I was really intrigued in your book when I was reading about how, you know, um, you've championed sellers from this viewpoint of like, what it's like to get suspended, how arbitrary Amazon is. And, um, and then, but like you've done, I think you've even spoken before Congress on this. Well, yeah, I mean, I've spoken with Congress and house. I was, I was named in the big house judiciary report that came out a couple of years ago. And I have conversations with them periodically. Um, just, just telling them. So, I mean, let's go all the way up to the 30,000 foot view here, yeah. Scott, let's be honest. Amazon wouldn't be what it is today without the hard work, the product knowledge, the grit, the capital of the third-party seller. Right. And I believe there should be a statue representing the third-party seller outside of every damn Amazon building. They would not be what they are today without them. Yep. And so let's start with that. Yep. Secondly, Amazon has forgotten that, or at least they appear to have forgotten it. And they have put themselves in this position because of their, what I call monopolistic power, uh, uh, to be the judge, juror, and executioner of small business without a thought about what that means to those small businesses that they're so dependent upon, what that means to their to their business, to their employees. Um, you know, they can, you know, make a little tweak to the algorithm. One year they made a tweak to the algorithm, and this this actually killed dropship business for us altogether. We lost five million dollars in revenue, we estimated, because they made a tweak to their algorithm without talking to anybody about it. Yeah. And it's like, what kind of partnership is that? What kind of partnership makes a change that they know will severely damage small businesses without giving them any warning, any head notice to be able to make a change so that they, they're, they're less impacted by it? We, you know, we had, we'd bought millions of dollars of inventory. We just sat there and collected dust. We got kicked out of the buy box because they made this tweak. And so, you know, so I get a little bit fired up. I get a little bit passionate about it. Amazon needs to do better for third-party sellers. And I think they've gotten to a point now, You know, some of my latest beefs, you can't even raise your price. They're preventing us from raising prices for our clients because they've seen enormous increases in supply chain, enormous increases in cost structure. And they won't let you, I got, I got a client right now, we're raising the price one penny every couple of days. That's all that they will allow us to raise the price on third-party sales. And it's just outrageous. It's completely outrageous that they think that a third-party seller should eat that cost that they're seeing now four or five times what they usually have seen. 
Um, they'll take sellers down by accident, not apologize, not give any warning. This is not right. And it's absolutely not okay. And so let's start there. Okay. <laughs> and like everything you said, like, I totally agree with, um, I, uh, actually, and, um, was ready to go to bat for uh, brands uh, such as this, um, oh, sorry, sellers, and created a website called playfairamazon.com. And like, I, I designed it, built it out. And it was really just to like, because there was a phase where like they were taking, um, they were open for comment from sellers. And I was like, I just wanted to funnel a ton of people there. Um, I got some people's attention uh, and I, this, like, I believe the wall street journal was going to talk about this website. When I said is like, I can't do this. There's a clause in the seller agreement that says like, don't talk about it. So like an Amazon, I'm like, I'm like they have never like uh, uh, acted on it. But if someone was organizing, you know, then yeah. I could see them doing it. And um, you're in a good spot because, you know, you're not selling yourself directly right now or yeah, are you I still? don't, yeah, yeah, no, I don't sell directly. No, so I you uh, can say whatever you want. And like, but like, um, we just can't get it shut down. Like our inventory risk is way too yeah. high. And well, look, just to be clear, I was just as outspoken when I was a seller and I, I learned something that was interesting. You know, I, I fully expected repercussions. I, I, I was quoted in a Wall Street Journal piece early on and I was panicked. I was like, there goes my business. I'm done. I'm cooked. But um, ironically, after the Wall Street Journal piece came out, Amazon actually changed their behavior. It had, it had to do with ad placement. Like they were, they were giving the, now they're doing it again, of course, but this was many years ago. You know, in the Wall Street Journal, they highlighted how the first row of search results all became sponsored ads. Two weeks after that article came out, they dropped it to two. And so I know that I came from the PR department, seeing it in the journal and pushing it down to the manager saying, I want you back up. The problem now is Scott, well, Amazon is so powerful. They don't care. So Scott, you know, just to be clear, um, I also was outspoken when I was still a big seller. I was a top 200 seller. And, and, and I learned something surprising when you speak out about Amazon's negative behavior, as long as it's honest and real, not just a rant, right. right. Kind of like what I just did. Um, then they act, the PR department actually gets that information and they'll push that down to the managers. And yep. there have been many times where I've spoken up and I've seen an Amazon change behavior. Problem is nowadays, they're so powerful. And I absolutely believe that power corrupts. They're so powerful that they don't even really, it seems anyway, in my opinion, that they don't really pay attention to any of the negative press that's going on. They don't change their behavior as a result. So they're so big, they're so powerful, they're so, they lack fear that, that, I wouldn't put it past them at this point in time to do, to, to take some, uh, so take issue against a seller. Right. And, you know, you, you bring up a really good point about those contracts and those agreements that you sign. This is not right. This is a big yeah. tech problem and not just an Amazon problem. This well, is a big business people, problem. People's reliance on them is just too great. I yeah. mean, uh, if my company was suspended indefinitely, like we'd be really hurt. Um, it would yeah. take, I don't know what it would take to, to, to get back on our feet. And, and so like, I hate how that fear has, you know, guided me in business decisions. Like I have to like, yeah. you know, uh, navigate around. I do think it's great to like focus on, you know, uh, account health stuff that like is good for the consumer. I'm, I'm with you on there, but um, just but give us a month. 
Give yeah. us 90 days um, heads up that this is changes coming so that and, small and, businesses can adapt, right? Yeah. And like my opinion from the very beginning is like, whatever's good for the seller is good for Amazon. Yeah. Uh, like if you invest in us, invest in sellers, like that's that's uh, always going to be like a benefit to the channel. Um, so um, where do you see this going? Like with, uh, as like legislation right now, like, or legislators now have like, you know, they have motivation to act or they, they, at least it's open for conversation. And so th there's that energy, but there's also the biggest lobbyist budget that Amazon's ever put out. Oh yeah. I mean, they've got big, they put big tobacco money to shame in terms of how much big tech and Amazon included in that are spending to convince uh, uh, policymakers to ignore it. I mean, look, change is coming, right? Um, I think the country and especially legislators learned a hard lesson that we can't just have this sort of uh, libertarian idea that if we just trust big tech and their big money, that everything's going to work out great for the country, right? It's just not. Um, and so I think that's been a rude awakening. Legislators had been asleep at the wheel, but they are very active right now. And so there's one thing that Republicans and Democrats can agree on. They agree that Amazon is too big and it's, it's a problem. Now, mm -hmm. getting them to agree on what to do about it is another story altogether. Right. And there are 14 plus bills that are working themselves through Congress. And my mm -hmm. hope is even getting sellers to agree what should happen is, you know, where people have different opinions of where um, their their monopoly is abused. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a Reuters story that came out yesterday talking about leaked documents from Amazon and how Amazon absolutely aggressively looked to knock off other sellers' products in India. And I think this is going to be, I, I, you know, this one just moved to the top of the list, making Amazon, if you're going to sell your own products, you can't sell it on your own marketplace, you're going to have to split that off. And so I think that probably is going to gain some steam after the article that came out recently in Reuters. Um, we knew that was going on. I knew it was going on before articles came out because Amazon asked us to create their own private label for them. And they shared with me the information that they were stealing from third-party sellers. And I was pissed about it. Um, but, but look, back to your question, um, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that the legislation that does end up passing will be done in a way that opens up the doors to competition so the next two or three Amazons can be born. It's not possible right now. Amazon's too powerful. Their logistics moat is impenetrable. Yeah. You know, their traffic base is impenetrable. Their prime subscriber base is impenetrable. There's just no way that anyone can compete with them right now because they can throw so much money. They can throw a few money at every problem that's out there in e-commerce yeah. and beyond. And so there has to be something done America is stronger when there are more businesses, not fewer, that are having success. And I, my hope and, is that they'll do it. My fear is that they'll screw it up and they'll hurt third-party sellers. If they just move forward with third-party sellers in mind, small businesses. Look, small businesses generate more jobs than all the big companies in the country combined. And they don't get any, they don't get any love from anyone, yeah. right? I mean, and um, I'd argue um, it's better as an employee to work for a small business. Like at least the, uh, the satisfaction of what you can create, the changes you can make. I mean, it, it changed my life and I became my own boss, you know, right. and, and uh, you know, that was eight years ago. I'm like, what an unlock. And so I always tell people. And then when I see people working at like small companies they are like, you know, you can really change it. So yeah. not only do they create a ton of jobs, I think a lot of them are pretty great. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. 
And um, yeah, I, I think it's incredibly meaningful for an employee of small businesses. They have so much more of an impact than they do as being a cog in a wheel. Um, among many other things, I completely agree with you, Scott. And so, yeah, I mean, look, change is coming. I don't know how fast it's coming, but Amazon is sort of this runaway train in terms of its power and its strength and its breadth. I mean, who in our, in our lifetime or even in our grandparents' lifetime, when was there a company that had potentially a monopoly in e-commerce, Amazon, books for sure, voice recognition software, right? And, and, and AWS, if you, if you really pull yeah. back the covers, that's four monopolies, one company, WTF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, someone I listen to, uh, Scott Galloway talks about like if they just spun off AWS, you know, that would be you know top five most valuable companies on it. It would, yeah, it would. There's no, question. yeah, it absolutely would. Um, yeah. I, I I totally agree. And and Be- Bezos may pass Elon Musk as the richest person in the world again if he did that. But uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, but they're they're holding this thing together. Yeah, and. Look, they do provide a good customer experience. They 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 won e-commerce. They, yeah, they did they, it better they, than they anybody else. They changed it. And like, they I'm did. spoiled. I won't. Yeah. I can't yeah. go yeah. sell in another marketplace. But I don't feel like has the logistics support that has, yeah. um, you know, like just like what the what am what Prime is for customers and for sellers is just like just changes the game. Makes uh, makes us a lot allows us to do what we like to do, and that's you know, uh, get the right products in front of customers. Yeah, absolutely. And I I just think that not only has Amazon made a mistake strategically, I think they've made a PR mistake by not bending over backwards to solve these problems that are so painful uh, to third-party sellers to which they owe so much. 15 million SKUs is what the 1P offers, roughly. Okay. The third-party sellers bring half a billion more SKUs to the table for them. They can't do that on their own. You know, um, I've got a, a, a new criticism just right now, um, in the last month, I've received four calls. At last six weeks, I've received about four calls from Amazon from Seattle. When I see Seattle on my phone, I have to answer it. Yeah, and, right. and they've all been from um, overseas uh, account health people, and they're not very easy to communicate with, especially on nuanced things like you know. Yeah. And uh, I'm not. I, I would see that as like them just like offshoring a problem when um like no like if you're gonna like uh act on my asins or my account like uh invest in someone that can communicate that a little bit better or they yeah. can understand where i'm coming from yeah because like i tell them like yeah no we've seen this and we've worked and this is what we've done like i it doesn't check check the same box with them and um i th- i see it as under investing again in their uh their account health teams yeah look they they're putting all their eggs in the offshore basket in terms of customer support and ai technology that's not that great you know ai is like a 6 year old yeah you know i i always make the joke that i love my 8 year old but i don't want to run in my business yet right she's yeah. amazing but you know th- there's just nuance that she's not there yet Yep. Um, and so that, that, those two are sort of a deadly punch right now, for sure, to sellers. And it's frustrating because you take on a phone call. There's no chance that a seller support person can know as much as you do, <laughs> Scott, with all your with all your experience. And it's frustrating. And they need to do better in terms of training, hiring more people. Um, and and let's think about this. Last year, three hundred billion dollars in revenue coming from third party sellers estimates on GMV level. 
That's $45 billion in seller fees, roughly, you know, 15%. You know, let's say 10% is going to FBA. That's another 30 billion. That's 75 billion. And then let's talk about advertising money, which is almost pure profit. You know, sellers paying five to 30% more. I mean, that's $60 billion, you would think, out of that hundred plus billion dollars in, in, in uh, operational margin going down to their bottom line, that they could peel off a few billion more to provide a better, better seller s- system for sellers, right? I mean, they, uh, they, should, they should make it another moat that like the way yeah. that they treat sellers is the best. That's right. You know, and like give us no reason to want to look for other options. Yeah. Give brands like every ability to grow. Um, I, I understand like, you know, they, they've got a lot of different like reasons for why they do things, but like, like just invest and, um, and, you know, you can sellers are remote, but like make it a stronger one. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's the way it used to be, right? Yeah. That's the way it used to be. We used to have a relationship with the category manager. Yeah. Um, they used to they used to work as partners. James Thompson, our mutual friend, is who who founded the Prosper Show. Uh, he was, I think, my fourth or fifth category manager. And he absolutely was an advocate. To this day, he's an advocate for third-party sellers because yeah. he knew how important it was to the Amazon business back when he was an employee. Yeah. But that seems to be. And not all the cases, like we work with Amazon employees over there who really do care about the third-party seller, but as a whole, as a corporate strategy, I feel like it's yeah. missed. It's missed. Well, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, you've complained about this for a while. So have I. And uh, for every good stuff they make, they make one or two, they make two you know, <laughs> wrong steps. Um yeah. Shoot. Well, this was, I mean, I, I love your story of where you've come from, you know, uh, started out reselling and uh, gone through a lot of uh, the different stages uh, of selling it on Amazon and just being an entrepreneur. Um, and I mean, it's awesome that you put it all in a book. So uh, we have this and there's actually more in the book than just uh, what we've talked about. There's a lot of, you know, how to grow your brand and probably more specific, like Amazon marketing tactics of like yeah. what uh you should consider so um that that book is called um the amazon jungle and it is available for sale on amazon <laughs> <laughs> so far they haven't taken it down scott <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can also get it at bards and noble books a million some of your other stores as well oh but, cool uh, yeah Perfect. yeah um and so so check out that book guys uh listeners and um but you can always get a hold of jason on linkedin he's pretty active um, and uh, through his uh, company, Avenue 7 Media. So uh, thank you so much, Jason, for spending your time. I I personally, anyone that I bring on this podcast, I always love it when like there's someone that's done reselling because then I'm like, oh, we're speaking the same language. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, same thing. And, um, and then when I see them transition into different business models, uh, that's fun as well. So, well, well, Scott, thanks for having me on. And thanks for all you do for the third party small business community as well. Uh, you're a true advocate and it's been an honor to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Well, that, that wraps up uh, today's conversation, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, I'll catch you on the next one. One, two, three. Woo!